Hi, and welcome to Grace Baptist Podcast. We're kicking off our Christmas classic series, and each week we're looking at a classic movie clip that will intro the message. On Sunday, we took a look at a clip from the movie Miracle on 34th Street. And now, let's join Mark as he shares that message with us. to be with you this morning. Um, let's, uh, let's give a round of applause to all of our kids who are with us during worship. They're going to be going back to their children's ministries. So good to see you guys this morning. That's fun. I came to the front and there was like no seats. It was like, wow, all kinds of kids in here. That is awesome to... Uh, just to have um, kids join us for worship. I can't emphasize how important that is. I mean, um, what we do together as a church family, uh, when we allow our kids to especially participate in worship, is that for them we're creating memories, right? They're remembering growing up and with a faith community that you know, they participated in, and so it's really great to see them. And I'm digging the Santa Claus hats. How come I didn't get one? You give me, okay, I want one, I just, all right, just want to make sure, you know, all things being equal. Uh, good morning, my name is Mark, as I mentioned previously, I'm one of the pastors here at Grace, and today we get to kick off the Advent season. This is officially the first Sunday of the Christmas season. Christmas uh, season starts a little early, uh, you don't have to tell the, re- tell the retail business that apparently Christmas started back in Halloween, but it's a different... It's a different story. Uh, this officially kicks off the Advent season today, being the first Sunday of Advent. And so we're doing a series this year entitled Classic Christmas. And we did something similar a few years back. And, but just to give you kind of an idea of what we're doing Sunday over Sunday, is we're taking um, uh, clips from classic Christ- uh, Christmas movies. And so the clip you just saw was Miracle of 30, um, 34th Street, and I'll talk a little bit about that in a bit. Um, but we're going to each week take a, a clip of a movie and really talk about how that connects to the biblical Christmas story. And so uh, we're going to have a, a lot of fun, and hopefully it'll be a blessing to you as well as, as, as our hope and our prayer really is, as we, as we once again uh, look at a very familiar story that we've looked on over the years of our lives over and over again, that in some way God would make it fresh and new in our hearts, in our lives, this particular uh, Christmas season. So every week, we'll do a different clip, a different movie. We'll have a different set design. We have the, a whole team of people that did all of this work, the lobby work. Did you enjoy the lobby? Did all of the decorations. Um, and so uh, that's what we'll be doing. We want to encourage you again, as Roger made mention, uh, there's postcards outside. We want to encourage, this is a great time and a great series to invite someone uh, to church. And so just, you know, hand them, send them an invite, hand them an invite, give them a call, tell them to come and check it out on Sunday. Let me just, uh, let's take a, talk a little bit about our clip. How many of you have seen uh, Miracle on 34th Street? Wait, just wave at me if, you, if you've seen it. Okay, there's a lot of you. There's a lot of you that haven't seen it. Um, if, you've, if you haven't seen it yet, no, don't worry, because they're playing it right now. And they will be playing it over and over and over and over and over again throughout the whole month of December. This is one of the movies that you, if you haven't seen it, like I said, you're going to have every opportunity to see it. It's an interesting uh, story, of course, um, if you don't know, I don't want to spoil the whole thing, but just kind of get everybody on the same page. It's a story of this older man whose name is Chris Kringle, and he is claiming to be the real Santa Claus. And it's a whole story about that. 
And during the, the course of the, of the story, he gets into more and more trouble as more and more people are finding out and that he's claiming to be the Kris Kringle, the Santa Claus. Uh, it, it ends up, he gets a psychological evaluation and that gets him into more trouble. Well, the, 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 the story kind of uh, culminates in a, in a trial. And so, believe it or not, Kris Kringle, Santa Claus, <laughs> goes on trial. And it's a, I don't want to spoil it for you. It's a, it's a really, it's a fun uh, Christmas movie uh, to watch. But like most good movies, there's always that story within a story. You know what I'm saying? And so here in Miracle on 34th Street, uh, there's another story that's kind of a, a little bit of a story inside of this, the Kris Kringle story. And it's the story of a woman named Doris, who you just saw in the clip. And Doris is the one who's in charge of the Macy's Day uh, parade and all the, the Macy's decorations and the store and all this stuff. And Doris has had a, a little bit of a rough go in life. You see, she, she has a young daughter, but she herself has experienced a failed marriage. And so all the expectations and the hopes and the dreams of having a wonderful life and a wonderful marriage have all just kind of fallen apart for Doris. And she now is a pretty high-level kind of executive type uh, in Macy's, and she's, she's lost her faith. She's, she's lost the, the, even the willingness and the want to, to believe in anything that is outside of her two hands. She's become a very pragmatic woman who leaves no room for words like faith and hope and love in her life anymore. These intangibles, as you saw in the clip. She sticks, to, she sticks to things that she can manage, things that she can control, things that fall nice and easily into her job description or her to-do list. This is the character, Doris, in the movie. And just by that description, hopefully you, in certain kinds of way, can understand this character, right? You ever, have you ever been hit so hard in life that hope and faith get knocked right out of you? Have you ever experienced that? I have. I mean, just one of those things, it comes unexpectedly out of nowhere, or maybe it's, a, it's a something that's pending, but it just, life sometimes just hits you, and it hits you so hard, it shatters dreams, it, it just it tears you up and twists you inside out, and it literally, it feels like all the faith and hope that you had are just knocked out of you, just like the wind getting knocked out of you. That's Doris. Maybe, maybe it's not as, um, as poignant as that. Maybe like Doris, we just simply go through life trying to manage it, trying to keep life manageable. And the minute that you try to make life manageable, the minute you try to keep it in, our, in your and my respective box, if you, if you will, words like hope and faith and love become difficult because those are, kind, those are the kinds of words that are not easily packaged or contained. And so what our approach oftentimes is we try to manage our lives and manage the circumstances of our lives is we take words like love and hope and faith and we treat them a lot like Christmas ornaments. We take them out at certain times a year of the year when it's appropriate and we hang them out and we display them for all to see. Uh, but when it comes back to the regular real life stuff, we put those words away like we put our ornaments away in January sometimes, or if you're like me, March. Um, and, and you put those away and you only take them out when it's appropriate and when it's the right time or the right season. See, that's Doris. That's Doris. Keep life manageable. She doesn't want to be hurt anymore. She doesn't want to experience any more anxiety and disappointment and any of that. So, so she has to 
keep life manageable. Now here's where the story, and here's quite frankly, here's where, here's where me and Miracle on 34th Street kind of part ways a little bit. Because as you get to know Doris in the film, you realize, you know, she needs something more than just Santa Claus. That's the sense that I walk away from the movie. It's a fun movie. I don't want to spoil it, right? It's, it's, you know, about Kris Kringle and Santa Claus, and that's a fun Christmas theme. But when you start talking about life, and you start talking about some of the things that Doris has experienced, and by extension, some of the things that you and I have experienced in life, some of the difficulties and the challenges, the anxieties, the hurts, the pains, some of those kinds of things... I need, I don't know about you, but I need something a little bit more than Santa Claus. Enter the Christmas story. See, the true biblical Christmas story is a profound story as it is a powerful one because it speaks to these issues. The Christmas story reminds us and draws us in to experience love and faith and hope in a way that this world, that our human stuff, our, our, our human context, just, we, we just won't experience there. It's the experience of love, faith, and hope at the feet of God himself in the person of Jesus Christ. The great love of God that he has for all of us. So I think it would be appropriate to start the series with one line from Scripture that I think captures, in essence, what the Christmas story is really all about. So I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet with me. And typically, on a Sunday, what I like to do is I like to, um, you know, I typically get out my Bible and I say, you know, we're going to, I'm going to read the Word, but we're going to do something a little different. We're going to recite together one line of Scripture it's from the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verse 16. And in this one line, I believe it captures the essence, the hope, the love that we can encounter in the Christmas story. So we're going to get your chorus mindset on because we're going to recite it together. I'll start, and then you guys will just take it from there, okay? Hear now the word of God. For God so... Father, take your truth, this truth that we have just read, that we have just recited, and write it on the tablets of our heart. I pray that in this Advent season, we would once again be encouraged and refreshed, once again made aware of your real presence and all that you have done and continue to do for us in Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we praise and pray and live and move and have our being. In our Savior's name, in Christ's name, we pray. And all of God's people said, give somebody a high five, a hug or a handshake and you may be seated in the presence of the Lord.
for God so loved the world. It's, um, it's not a complicated phrase. It's fairly simple. In fact, you could make the argument that, you know, a five-year-old or even younger can read the words and understand basically what that phrase says, for God so loved the world. But don't let the simplicity of the phrase fool you. Because if you let this phrase into your heart, into your mind, into your soul, it will change your life. For God so loved the world. There's some pretty big words in that little phrase. God love world. Let me just get this together. Just think about that. As we prepare our minds and our hearts to once again visit a very familiar place, the, the Christmas story, let's think about these words. For God. So Now, just let's stop there. Because the minute you introduce God into the equation, we, we already got all kinds of problems and troubles, right? I mean, there's a saying, I'm sure you've heard of it, especially amongst family and friends, you should never talk politics or... <laughs> you know that one. The minute you throw God into any mix, <laughs> get ready, because opinions, <laughs> you'll have plenty. God. Big G. Creator of heaven and earth, as scripture calls him. God. You start with that, people automatically have questions. I mean, so how do you, is God even real? How can you know he's real? And if, if he is real, how can I know that he is real? How can I know him if he is real? Oh, oh, questions abound. The minute you open your mouth and just say God, all kinds of things start to bubble up. And that's what makes the Christmas story so relevant. Because the Christmas story itself points us in the direction where we can find those very answers. Is God real? And can I know him? The Christmas story, as you know, is the story of the birth of Jesus Christ. Now, there are many that in our culture, in our world today, that simply uh, see this as a historical event. Jesus being born, Jesus the good person, Jesus the prophet, Jesus the teacher, uh, Jesus the good guy, Jesus the ethic and uh, moral person born in Bethlehem. And, and his, there's a, a historicity uh, around this event that uh, is pretty much commonly known and embraced by the world. But you see, when you look at the biblical story of Christmas, it is much more than just a historical event. The Bible makes what I would consider a, a really huge, mind-boggling claim when it comes to the Christmas story. Scripture claims that God has come to us as one of us in the birth of Jesus Christ. It's, it's what Christian theologians and scholars have wrestled with for a couple of thousand years, and we call it the incarnation. I don't know if you've heard that word, and it's a very churchy word, very uh, high traditional liturgical word, good theological word, the incarnation, that God has come to us as one of us, 
in the flesh, in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is fully God and fully human all at the same time. Don't ask me to explain that. The church has been wrestling with that truth for 2,000 years. It is marvelous as it is mysterious. And herein is the problem. You see, when we talk about God, and we talk about God in the Christmas story and what he has done, it, it can fry your noodle. Because we as human beings, much like Doris in Miracle on 34th Street, we, we want to keep life manageable, don't we? There's a real big part of us that just, we want things to be manageable. We don't need them necessarily to be perfect, and we don't need them, you know, we, but we do. We, we strive to keep things manageable. We, we want them, there's certain expectations that we, that we have and, and that we honor. And, and, you know, even when it comes to Christmas, there are, those, you know, there are those of us that we have, you know, maybe not a long list, but we have a certain, certain things that in our mind, on our list, that this is the way Christmas should be. We want to keep it manageable, much like all of life manageable and therein is the problem because what i have found in particular in particular to in terms of the christmas story and this whole uh, the the birth of god in, in the person of jesus christ none of that is really manageable jesus doesn't fit in my boxes too well the christmas story doesn't fit in my box really well I try, I can try, and you can try to manage it, but it's a mystery. It's supernatural. It's miraculous. In other words, it uses language that logic has a hard time laying a hold of. The only way you can lay a hold of those kinds of words, mystery and miraculous and, 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 these, and supernatural, is through faith. You see, faith is the only way to really grasp the Christmas story. And if you know anything about faith, you know faith oftentimes is just hard to wrestle through, especially if we're thinking people. Sometimes we are at odds with faith, right? We, uh. And so for many people, even people of faith, we try to manage the Christmas story itself and try to strip it down the simple stuff to, dare I say, even superficial stuff. Let me, um, I'd like to read a letter to you written back in uh, 2014. It is, um, it is written from a bishop to a parishioner. The parishioner is asking a question and the bishop is responding and uh, it, it, uh, the question is around Christmas. I'd just like to read a, an excerpt from the letter. Dear Bishop, I find Christmas to be a challenge to my faith, and I have difficulty believing all the events around Jesus' birth to be literally true. Am I losing my faith? Thank you for any help you can give me. Dear person, this is the bishop responding, thank you for your question. 
which is perfect for the column that goes out on Christmas Eve. There is no doubt that most people have literalized the images that Matthew and Luke have in their birth stories of Jesus. See Matthew chapter 1 and 2 and Luke chapter 1 and 2. But I do, but I do believe it is quite clear that neither Matthew nor Luke thought of them as literal events. The great majority of biblical scholars share that perspective. The facts are that stars do not travel across the sky so slowly that wise men can keep up with them. Angels do not break through the midnight sky to sing to hillside shepherds. And human beings do not follow stars to pay homage to a newborn king of a foreign nation, especially when the same gospel tells us that Jesus was born the son of a carpenter. To continue this train of thought, no real head of state, including King Herod, would deputize Eastern Magi that he had never seen before to be his CIA to bring him a report of this threat to his throne. Virgins do not conceive except in mythology, of which there are many examples in the Mediterranean world. A man does not take his wife, who is great with child, on a 94-mile donkey ride from Nazareth to Bethlehem so that the expected Messiah can be born in David's city. One lay Roman Catholic woman theologian said of that account, only a man who had never had a baby could, write a, could write a story like that. Kings do not order people to return to their ancestral homes for enrolling for taxation, David and Joseph, or for some 50 generations. David had multiple wives and concubines. In 50 generations, the descendants of David would number in the billions. If they had all returned to Bethlehem, there would be no wonder that there was no room at the inn. The letter goes on and on. I understand the bishop. While I don't necessarily share in his opinion, I do understand it. Faith can be a tough thing because it calls us to believe on, on things that are absolutely intangible that we can't touch and see oftentimes. And so how do we deal with that? How do we deal with the truth that God has come to us as one of us and all the mystery around that and, the, the, and the, just the marvel and the miraculous and the supernatural? How do we deal with it? Well, for some, it means that we have to do what this bishop has done is to strip the story down, to strip it away of all its mystery and strip it away of, of all the, this, this language of supernatural and, and, and miraculous and, and strip it down to just simple things, simple, uh, uh, manageable concepts. But if you do that to the Christmas story, what you have left it's just hay in an empty barn. You see, as a person of faith, and, and this is not easy, as a person of faith, God invites us, calls to us in the story. And we're to come with open hearts, open hands, and by faith, to come and to hear and to receive. And, and just, I mean, think about this. Just the mere talk of God 
just to say, for God, the, the, the minute you mention God, the minute you bring him into the Christmas, the story even, you just say, God, you're already talking mystery, aren't you? How, how, is it that you how, how is it that you and I can even say God with not entertaining, without being open to mystery? Because the minute you say God, you, you, what you're saying is that you're opening yourself up to mystery, to that which is beyond our logic. Not to say that we don't have logic, but God is even beyond our logic. This is, um, to borrow from the author John, under the inspiration of the Spirit, this is how John describes that moment when God entered humanity. In John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, and then I'll read down to verse 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is the singular truth of the Christmas story. This is Christmas. That God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He came to us as one of us in the person of Jesus Christ. It's a marvelous mystery that sometimes and oftentimes stretches even our faith. But there it is. The truth that transforms. The truth that someone like Adorus really needs to hear and to know. That in the midst of failed marriages, in the midst of brokenness, the brokenness of this world, in the midst of wounds and pains and disappointments, that God is really here. That in Jesus Christ, he has come into this humanity because he loves. For God so loved. There's the other word. You think God gives us, that word God gives us problems? Here's the other one. Love. That's another word. It's a nice word. Isn't such a nice word? We say it all the time. I love you. I love you. I love you. I love chocolate. I love you, baby. We use love all the time. I love sitting on my couch. <laughs> I love sitting on my couch, eating junk food, watching Netflix which is what I'm going to be doing in about a couple of hours from now. <laughs> we use love all the time. It's, you know, it's a nice word. It's a, I love, thank you, love it, love it, love, love it. But if you push beyond the superficialities of how we use love and you really get down to it, it's a tricky word, right? Because it, it, it simultaneously captures the best and sometimes the worst. It captures those relationships and moments and times where we experienced love and it was so moving and encouraging. It was so comforting and uplifting. 
But the word also can capture those moments of betrayal and loss and brokenness. And there you have it. All of that in that word. At least how we have experienced the word on a human level. And here's where, again, the Christmas story comes like a beacon of hope. Because the Christmas story reminds us that there is yet a love that exists, that is real, that hasn't been marred by human frailty, that hasn't been uh, uh, muddied or twisted by life's circumstances. There is a love that is pure as it is powerful. There is a love that is absolutely without flaw and perfect. There is a love that is unconditional. There is a love that is healing and restorative. There is a love that, that really the only word that we can use to describe it, it is divine. It is the love of God, and that's the love that the Christmas story points us to. Now, perhaps, maybe, um, maybe you and I could use a, a bit of a reminder here in terms of where we say love, and especially God's love, what is that like? So I'll, I'll read a very familiar passage, um, 1 Corinthians 13. It's kind of a reminder from God's word of what love, God's love in particular, what, what that's really like. How does he love? And here's what 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 to 8 say about love. And interestingly, you know, John, the author that we've been reading, John three sixteen, John chapter 1, he says God is love. Right? So think about that. This is the way God is in these verses. This is the way he loves. This is the way he is. 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient and kind. Love is patient. I have kids. <laughs> I have three kids. And... I don't know about you, but maybe you're not a kid. Maybe you don't have children. But there's always that some, there's that person that, um, that requires a, a tremendous amount of patience to deal with them. It's, you know, it's that person. That you ever, I've experienced this with my kids. I've also experienced this with friends and other people. And, you know, they, you, ever, you ever have somebody just, they, they do the same thing over and over and it bugs you. And they know it bugs you. And, but they keep doing it. And then you talk to them, and you talk to them nicely, and you try to get them to understand. You know, when you say these words, when you use that word, when you do this thing, it really does bother me. It kind of hurts me. It, it really, it, you know, it troubles me. And, and, and you do, you know, usually the first two or three times, we're nice about it. You know, maybe over a cup of coffee, and, you know, and you keep reminding them. You're telling them. I mean, this is not rocket science, folks. And you're just kind of pointing it out step by step. Here, when you say this phrase, when you do this thing, it really does bother me. It really does hurt me. And the third time you say, and, the, and, and then you send flowers. Hours, and then you try to, and we explain. Then you take out your napkin and you draw diagrams, and then you're explaining, and you're explaining, and they just they keep doing it, and they're doing it over, and they're doing it over and over and over and over and over again. I, I struggle with patience. But it's interesting, before you, and I'm sure you have the picture of that person in your head right now, but before you throw them under the bus, 
The truth is sometimes I'm that person. And if you're honest with yourself, you're that person. And what's encouraging about this definition of love is it reminds us that God, who is love, is patient and he's kind and he doesn't envy or boast and his love is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. God so loved the world. This is this is what the Christmas story invites us into. God so loved the world. And there's the last word. What to say about world, our world. What to say about all of it. Our world. Yeah, yeah, there's great things in our world. There's beauty in our world. There's joy in our world. There's, there's in certain places, even peace in our world. There's good things that are happening in our world, but we all know also mixed with that. There's a lot of pain and suffering. There's a lot of brokenness. There's a lot of anger. There's a lot of injustice. There's a lot of stuff. And what's amazing to me is that God so loved the world that he reaches into that mess and brokenness and that the bittersweet. And he says, no, I'm going to walk with them. I'm going to walk with you. And here's where it gets to be a challenge when you read this phrase, for God so loved the world, because sometimes when you say the world, you think, well, it's really big. And so if you're struggling with the immensity of that word, the, the kind of God so loved the world, here's a simple exercise. Just take world out and put your name. It just brings it home all the more. For God so loved Mark. For God so loved Mark. See, the Christmas story reminds me of this truth, that God so loved me that he came. He came to walk with me in this world, in the brokenness of my life, in the disappointments and disillusionments of my life. And here's where, again, here's where your brain can get a little fried, and I'll end with this. But he's God, right? I mean, can he just not, can he just with, you know, just kind of a wave of his hand, can he just make it all go away, all the bad stuff go away? I mean, he is God, right? So why, you know, there's a part of me, let's be, if we're, you know, if we're going to be truthful about it, there's a part of us that just simply wants that. Okay, God, can you just come in? I don't, I don't need a pillar of cloud or a pillar of fire. I don't need everything to be super perfect, but can you just, can you just make the pain go away? Can you, can you, can you just... You just wave your hand and, and take this painful situation out of my life, this painful thing, this, this, this wound, this brokenness. He's God. Can he not do that? And here's where great love is demonstrated in that while we were yet sinners, as Scripture tells us, while we were yet broken, while we were experiencing our own uh, uh, pain and woundedness, whether it be that something that we have done sins that we've committed or the sins that have been uh, committed to, to us and, and things that we've had to bear at the hands of others. And in all of that mess, here's, here's the demonstration of love, that in that, God comes 
to walk alongside us in it, to love us through it and in it. This is his choice. Now I know, I know you're sitting there and much if you're like me, you're thinking, yeah, that sounds all lovely, but I'd rather him wave his hand and make all the bad stuff go away. There's a part of me that understands that and is empathetic to that. But the truth is, and here's, here's the profound thing about God's love. The truth is, yeah, God could have done that to me. He could have, in an act of love, for God so loved Mark, he could have just simply said, watch this, whoo, I'm going to take all of Mark's pain away, all of his struggle, all of that hurtful, awful stuff, I'm just going to wipe it all away. He could do that. He could have done that. But then I wouldn't be able to stand here this morning and tell you about how he delivered me from a cocaine addiction. See, God could have wiped away all my struggles in one swipe. But then I wouldn't be able to tell you the story about how I came home one day and I looked my wife in the face and I told her, I don't love you anymore and I want a divorce. And how God, from that moment, worked and healed our marriage so that in this June, I'll be celebrating 25 years married to my wife. Yeah, could God wipe away all the pain? Is there a part of me that really wants that? Yeah, sure, but I then would not be able to tell you the countless times that I was in a dark place of doubt and fear, a cell of my own creation, if you will, and in those moments, hear God's voice and feel and sense his touch on my life, reassuring and reminding me that that wasn't going to be the last chapter of my life. This is the love that the Christmas story invites you into, to experience firsthand. For God so loved the world that he gave his son that whosoever would believe should not perish, but have life everlasting. Amen? Father, we thank you for your word and for your promise and all that you have done for us in Jesus Christ. And as we move into this Advent season, our prayer is that once again, we would experience a renewed sense of your presence and promise. I pray for our hearts in this season that you, Lord, would once again remind us and help us to experience in new ways your great love, your grace, all that you have purchased and pledged for us in Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we praise and pray. And all of God's people said, God bless you this morning. Let's stand together. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. For next week's podcast and more information about Grace and our upcoming services and events, visit our website, www.gracehudson.org. Thanks for listening.